0: In their ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later, the Homestarmy proudly presents Trekwest Five, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about. Trekwest Five is brought to you in part by RocketWebDesign.com custom web design at template website prices designs by dd.blogspot.com your online home for all your digital scrapbooking needs need a home along the wasatch front contact lisa devageray with kirkham and friends real estate no one will work harder for your home and the blogging to the world since 2004 your hosts for trek West 5 are joey and peter Good evening and welcome to podcast one hundred and eleven. I am Peter. <laughs> sorry. It say 111? I did say one hundred eleven? One hundred eleven. All right. No offense to anybody from the South, SpongeBob, uh, but uh, I, I've heard that many times and I, I like the way that sounds. Okay, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, Joey, welcome back. Thank we you. are in our original home, the foundation. For our podcast. Yeah. We've come home, we finally shunned that evil place that we were <laughs> recording at,
1: and we're back here. It feels well, good. Well, just because we knew your parents couldn't resist interrupting us. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> My mother coming and saying,
0: now what are you doing? You're recording a what? <laughs> a what's a, po- what's a podcast?
1: She, she asked me... About the bell. She said, you have a, a dinner service bell here. Is that for your broadcast? <laughs> I just said, yes. <laughs>
0: oh, man. That would be t- uh, it, the sad thing is, is it's true. It's absolutely true plus once they figured out that we were actually recording then they would feel bad that they had interrupted <laughs> and then they'd have to go like hide themselves away in some part of my room. my parents are in town by the way uh, which is why we're back at our original place our my office um, which I actually I like I like to be able to come back here every once in a you, while you just like to be sitting in the power power <laughs> chair there <laughs> i guess sure <laughs> if for no other reason than this Joey I think I think that we need a high five
1: Oh yeah, we haven't had a high five in a long time.
0: Yes, <laughs> and uh, you know what? I think you've earned it okay. over over the the last uh, few podcasts. Even, even
1: though I screwed up the award.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he uh, while he knows he got the second award, he has no idea what the first yep. award is. Yep. So just realize, Brainy Smurf, that there is something pretty special. There right are
1: additional there. awards out there to be earned.
0: Yes, and uh, um, okay. Uh, what uh, any announcements? Other than what nope. we've done so far, I think we're good. Okay, now before we get into Facebook Find of the Week, okay, um, I wanted to read an email that Brainy Smurf sent in. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> this was after we had said, "Hey, um, you know, here's your you know second award." Second award. Yeah, uh, and he said, "Hey, uh, sup, dudes? Although the scale of my gratitude is only outweighed by my excessive enthusiasm, this is my." first time winning Facebook Find of the Week. I agree that I definitely should have won for Talking Bacon Dog (laughs) as well as Talking Mystic Cat. However, I will look forward to resubmitting them at a better time. I I don't think that's going to help resubmitting them. But, you know, I'm not the only one voting here. Um, But seriously, what is funnier than Talking Animals? But for reals, seriously, you dudes are doing an awesome, rhythmically kick-ass job <laughs> with Season 3. Therefore, some Picard-style toasting and adulation is in order. And as far as your recent summer situations have rendered some Megatron buildup on your collective chi, just remember that you are replenishing the chi of many of your faithful minions throughout the Western world. <laughs> so, take it from Tupac. Some say the blacker the berry, the sweeter the juice. I say the darker the flesh, then the deeper the roots. I give a holla to my sisters on welfare. pot cares, if don't nobody else care. So, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but he did say keep your heads up, which in Chinese is that. So uh, he listed a bunch of Chinese characters, which on my machine render as... Empty boxes. (laughs) So, um, I I guess uh, Brainy Smurf uh, knows Chinese?
1: Or maybe Maybe? he copied
0: and pasted it from Google Translate. (laughs) Maybe. The funny thing, the the main reason I wanted to bring this up is when I read this the first time, instead of reading Tupac, I read Tuvok, which is a character from Star Trek Voyager. And so then I read this poem, and I thought... (laughs) What in the world? I must not (laughs) have seen that episode of Voyager. (laughs) Why? I don't remember Tuvok being into poetry. Then I don't remember him talking about the sisters on welfare. welfare. (laughs) So it took me a second reading in order to finally understand what uh, what he meant was Tupac, the uh, now dead rapper.
1: I did glance at the at the email and I knew that this. This was coming, which is why I tried to get out in front of it on Facebook. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. Um, Okay, so on to Facebook find of the week. Okay. This week it's going to the periodic table of storytelling by Listener Fishhead. (laughs) I thought that was awesome. (laughs) It was
0: pretty interesting. I didn't get a chance to really dive down into it too much. When it was posted...
1: I was way too busy at work, and then other stuff came in, and I just I forgot about it. I thought about maybe making a, uh, an entry for Trek West 5 to see where we fit in, <laughs> in, in the periodic table. <laughs> was there room for further submissions? I, uh, well, No, what, what it is is they, they take a show and they say, okay, here are the elements that make up that show. So they, they would do kind of the molecular compound of that show based on this periodic table. Request 5 <laughs> <laughs> Now we clearly have to go and do it. <laughs> You've already named our element. <laughs> well, I'm sorry if I've jumped the gun here. Uh,
0: okay, um, alright, congratulations uh, and to... And I think uh, Listener Fish a first-time winner. <laughs> oh, oh, a special time for him then. He'll get to uh to get to see the congratulations on winning your second time trophy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, he hasn't po- sent in. I, I haven't mentioned this to you. Uh, uh, and I should probably mention to some of our listeners so that this makes sense to you. But uh, in our church, we're a lay clergy. So, you know, we don't have paid ministry or anything like that. It's the regular members of the congregation that you know help to officiate in you know various uh, functions. Anyway, he is in the bishopric now. He's okay. one of the counselors in the bishopric. So, so he stopped. Busy, boy, yeah. yeah, he stopped watching the episodes, and <laughs> he, I don't think he's listening to the podcast anymore. <laughs> I hadn't. I didn't have the heart to ask if he was going to continue <laughs> listening. But it's clear he's keeping up on uh, on, on Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. So uh, many thanks to you and congratulations, uh, listener Fishhead. Um, okay, Joey's
1: Culture Corner. Uh, tonight we are going to have a book called Autonomy, Freedom of Thought. This is an open source book. You can go, you can download it for free off the internet. And the premise of the book is, it, I think it's like 20, the 2300s, somewhere in there. And technology has advanced to the point that we have nanomachines and we have people who are able to live inside of computers. And what happens is a group of people move into the internet. <laughs> and because, because of the way computers are, at this point in time, are running faster than the human brain, they can actually get more accomplished in a given period of time inside the computer world than they can outside the computer world. And so the computer world begins to evolve at an incredibly rapid rate. And of course, it's a, it's a, for, a feedback loop, so that rate of progression just continues to increase to the point that a whole entire culture is developed inside the computer networks and the cultures of Earth are trying to stop the computer networks shut them down. Okay.
0: So this kind of sounds like the matrix.
1: Uh, okay, a little bit. It has some similarities. Okay, let me ask you a
0: question. Uh, without giving up too much of the plot is there a character by the name of neo no okay (laughs) um my second question is do any like where do the people physically reside inside of a computer or are they literally are they plugged in They gave up their bodies okay okay all right well that that it takes us beyond the realm of reasonability in my mind. To okay, this is just science fiction now, it and, is, and that's, okay. Pure that, fiction. that's okay.
1: That's uh, okay. The the I'd say the big idea of the series is what can happen if we let um, regulation and enforcement of copyright and patent law get out of control. Okay. A st- it, it, a it gets to the kind of a subject. It gets to the point in the society of the of the novel where the government is pretty much run by the motion picture association and the recording industry. <laughs> Interesting that they would choose those two. <laughs> well, you have to realize the time frame
0: in which the novel is written. <laughs> um, wow, so are the, you know, quote-unquote good guys are they Trying to say, hey, we need to get rid of
1: copyright. They are trying to withdraw from culture entirely and build their own autonomous society.
0: And they're doing so within the internet. Right. And it seems a uh, as though they're, they're choosing a bad decision. Just like, can't you just turn off all the electricity? Really? Well, read the book. <laughs> they have workarounds. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So, would you give this a thumb up? I give it a thumb up, absolutely. Would you give it a thumb up because of the writing or would you give it a thumb up because of the
1: topic? Because he, I know you feel strongly about the topic. The idea, the the ideas in the, that he proposes, not even talking about the political philosophy, but the science fictiony ideas that he proposes are absolutely fascinating. It's very entertaining. The writing is a little bit rough in patches. It hasn't been published yet. He's still working on it. He's been working on it for, I think I've known about it for about ten years. Hmm. And he he actually puts all of his revisions up online, and you can see what he's changed over time. And he he intends for this to be the first book in a series.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Really? A series, you say?
0: Well, I look forward to, uh, you know, when book one in that series comes out. It's actually book zero. <laughs> book zero, even better.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: and, and he does, uh, part of the, one of the interesting things about reading the book is that to really, truly appreciate the timeline in which events happen, you have to learn hexadecimal counting. Oh, come on. Uh, hexadecimal? Something like that. Hexadecimal? It's, no, not hexadecimal. It's a base 60 system. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, come on. It's fascinating. fascinating. so dumb. It was, it was incredibly entertaining. I enjoyed it. Hmm. Okay, well, I... Um, we'll link to it since you can download it and read it for free. Yeah, of course.
0: Uh, okay. Uh, we will move on to episodes then. Yep. We are going to be covering episodes 9 through 12 of Babylon 5, Season 3. And we'll begin with Episode 9, Point of No Return. Didn't we cover this episode last week? We were going to, but uh, you hadn't prepared for okay. it. Alright.
1: A Centauri prophetess visits Babylon 5 right as martial law is declared on Earth.
0: Okay. Uh, I think this is a really good episode. Very, yes. It's a good, solid episode. This is the,
1: the season title for Season 3, Point oh, of No Return. Okay. So this is to be the culmination of it's the it's the apex of the arc of season 3 and everything from here all is on is downhill it is downhill so it's going to get worse everybody <laughs> um okay
0: i got to say this episode 8 ended with a pretty good cliffhanger or? yeah i we couldn't really call it a cliffhanger yeah. but the way that it ends tension strong very yeah. very strong tension and um when they start in with this, it's sort of like, okay, where are they going to take this? I mean, basically, President Clark has just said, you know what? I'm done with the rest of you. I'm just going to assume control over everything now. And you know, you he's... may call me emperor, emperor from here <laughs> exactly. on Exactly. You know, he's becoming a dictator, and he's assuming g- completely kicking out the Senate. Yeah. And they are going to have no more power. Uh, panic everywhere. Um, ISN the uh, the news network is getting screened essentially yeah um you know eventually it's shut down in this episode um uh, this episode? No. Next episode next episode next episode um anyway mass panic is going on and uh, babylon 5 is suffering because of it
1: it was interesting to me that the reaction of all the alien races to earth declaring martial law was to go out in the hallways of Babylon 5 and run back and forth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, nothing shows panic more than, uh, you know, sheep milling around. (laughs) Uh, I I see you have a book there. Are you you trying to tell me you want to read something? I do want to read something. When Babylon 5 first went on the air, there was a pronounced schism between Babylon 5 fans and Star Trek fans, (laughs) a divide accentuated by two things. First, the false perception by some that we were poaching on Deep Space Nine's territory. When, in fact, we'd been around for five years preceding the development of Deep Space Nine. Yeah. And second, the fact that B5 presented a very different philosophy of the future. In the Trek future, humanity has left behind its pettiness, has <laughs> solved nearly all of its problems, eliminated poverty, cured every disease, eased every suffering, even dispensed with most religion. Uh, uh, in the I, Babylon would, I would take future, umbrage with what he just said there. <laughs> In the Babylon 5 future, we still carried with us our frailties as well as our strengths. There was still poverty, still misunderstandings, and racism and religion. We had not come to grips with the statement made by Delenn that we are better than we think and nobler than we know. This seemed more realistic in that, like most other species, humans simply do not change that radically over the course of just a few generations. Evolution doesn't work that fast. 200 years ago, we struggled, loved, fought, worked, got married, divorced, raised up our inheritors, and hoped for a better world. Today, 200 years hence, we still do all the same things. And 200 years from now, in the world of Babylon 5, we will still be doing them. So ultimately, the struggle between Babylon 5 fans and Trek fans was to a large extent a philosophical disagreement. One that a number of those who were actually engaged in making these shows did not share, including Majel Barrett Roddenberry, widow of Gene Roddenberry, creator of Star Trek. I'd heard through the grapevine that Majel had been nice mouthing Babylon 5 at various convention appearances, urging Star Trek fans to give it a shot. It was a position that did not endear her to some of the fans, (laughs) but she persisted anyway, citing the other Trek philosophy of IDIC, infinite diversity in infinite combinations, which means there is room in the universe for all kinds of viewpoints. I thought this was decent of her and called to say as much. She was happy to receive the compliment, and as we spoke, we realized that we were both scheduled to appear at the same convention in the United Kingdom. We agreed to get together for a meal while there. Before finishing the conversation, I suggested that I might have a surprise for her when we met. I brought with me the script for Point of No Return, which was going to be one of our most pivotal third season episodes, and over dinner offered her the role of Lady Morella. She read the script, liked the part, and agreed to play in an attempt to bridge the gap between Star Trek fans and Bob Babylon 5 fans. I would have volunteered to play a role in one of the Star Trek series, <laughs> except for the knowledge that the very next sound of my, uh, following my appearance would be 10 million remote controls all flicking into another channel at the same microsecond. <laughs> 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 to this day, I'm not sure if this worked as well as we'd hoped it would, but it was a terrific compliment from Majel nonetheless. All I know for certain is that the experience for all involved during production was absolutely terrific. Majel was gracious and funny, and the cast went out of its collective way to make her feel welcome. And even though our doors have always worked perfectly thanks to the off-camera operators who pull them open at just the right moment, knowing that in the early years of Trek, the doors rarely opened on time, resulting in amusing collisions between actor and set, in one scene after another, the operators decided to be just a few seconds late, opening Mazel's door, just for old time's sake.
0: (laughs) 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 So they went out of their way to make her feel at home by making her walk into a door.
1: Oh apparently she she enjoyed it. she had good fun with it, <laughs> but we do we get to see Mangel Barrett here on Babylon Five, which I think is a, a nice surprise. I've always liked her portrayal of Loana Troy um, and really, you know, you've always liked her it, the way she's over the top, I appreciate that
2: <laughs> <laughs> couldn't
1: always pronounce her name. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I I think it was
0: nice to see her as well. And uh, I, if that was you know the intent, the reason she was doing it, then I think that that's incredibly gracious of her to have done that. Yeah. Because I think it's clear that the Star Trek universe is always going to pre- be, it's always going to have a much larger fan base than Babylon Five, which is not to suggest that Babylon Five is any less of a show, a science fiction show, but it's just. It's, it's
1: not it, as iconic.
0: Yes, it, that's, a, that's a really good way to put it. And so it's nice for her to you know, to do that, to tell the other fans, hey, look, sh- shove it. You know what? There's other good science fiction out there
1: besides Star Trek. And, and you have no idea what you're missing by shutting yourself off to that.
0: Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, okay, so she shows up, and she is playing the part of Lady Morella, who is supposed to be the, um, the widow of... Of the former emperor. Emperor Theron. And the way that they understand things is the the soul of the emperor goes into...
1: Or hangs around
0: with her. <laughs> yes. So she speaks with the royal we. And when she says we, she's referring to herself and her husband. And it's sort of, while she's not the emperor, she it's kind of assumed like she is... I, I look at it as a uh, former president
1: for kind of thing. Mm. Mm.
0: Okay, yeah. No real power, but, uh, you know, can... A figurehead? Yeah. 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 Politically has a little bit of push and shove. So um, uh, Londo basically gets her here because he's hoping that she can act in her role as apparently a prophetess. You know, she's able to see the future a bit. And so, you yeah. know, through the, the midst of things that happen, she reads him. And incidentally, manages to read Veer as well, and she says, "Okay, Londo, you, you've asked for this, and here's what it is." And then she reads—well, uh, she doesn't read. Sorry, she declares, de- declares you know her prophecy, which is completely meaningless to all of us, as is Londo, because everything's going to be happening in the future. She's basically saying when these events happen,
1: be careful of this, be careful of that, yeah. be careful of this. Well, She then, tells him you've missed two opportunities already Yeah, to save your soul from the darkness that's coming. You'll have three more chances. The things you have to do is to save the eye that does not see, do not kill the one who is already dead, and surrender yourself to your greatest fear, knowing it will destroy you. Hmm. You had no idea what any of those three were, huh? Um, I I can make guesses, but I don't remember them. The first time I I heard her declare that prophecy, I knew exactly what number three was. I feel like you should know if you've been paying attention. Hmm. Um,
0: At any rate, she also states that Londo is going to become emperor uh, emperor someday, as is (laughs) Veer. And she doesn't say which becomes emperor when... She just kind of tells them, the collective, you. One of going to be emperor after the other one's dead. Right. Um, kind of a goofy ending, you know, with Veer and Londo sitting together. And Londo's like, <laughs> no, 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 I'm not hungry anymore. Oh, but I just made this meal.
1: and you know, I'll order it in, he <laughs> says. <laughs> uh, I found that was kind of a little silly. It is silly, but you're supposed to enjoy the silliness. I didn't.
0: Oh. No, no. <laughs> All right, the other stuff that's going on is the Babylon 5 reaction. Yeah, infrastructure change of what's going on. Essentially, the uh, you know, there's a Secret Nightwatch meeting and at that meeting, that, you know, slimy guy, I don't remember what his name is. We never
1: get a name for him,
0: declares, "Okay, Nightwatch is now in control." Which at the same time that that's happening, a communication comes in from EarthGov stating Nightwatch is now to become the head of security.
1: Per instructions from the
0: political office. Right. Um, which, uh, you know, Sheridan now is able to use the chain of command to save the day. Um, anyway, I, it, it was a little on the silly side, but it's still, I, I think it's, it's good the way he is able to, to use that. And basically tells all of the Nightwatch people... Yeah, you're obeying an illegal order, and now you're all arrested. The Norns step in, you know, help to uh, fill in the gaps of security there aboard the station, and they all step up and do apparently an admirable job. You know, uh, Jakar, you know, sounds uh, crazy when he first proposes this idea, but, you know what, he...
1: (laughs) Even because he goes in, he says, I've had an idea... (laughs)
0: Yes, that was what I was
1: referring to. Um, I liked the interactions that we see in this episode. When Jakar first comes back from being incarcerated, he encounters Talon, who has been waiting outside his room since he got incarcerated. I'm glad you bring up Talon. um, Because now I...
0: Each time I say his name, I think of the... Well, I I won't even bring it up. It's silly for me to bring that up. But I will say this. Why does he still have his sword? Okay? <laughs> uh, you, you explained it, and, you know, I rolled my eyes at it. But I said, okay, fine. He was escorting that ambassador around. You know, you know, quote, unquote, ambassador. Right. Why does he have the sword now?
1: Well, because no one's taking it away from him.
0: <laughs> Are you going to try to take it away from him? I <laughs> don't <laughs> oh, get enough security guys with PBGs. He to pass
1: through customs again.
0: Oh whatever! <laughs> so dumb. All right, uh, yeah, I'll I'll but let it, that go. You were saying something
1: important, I would imagine. There, there was just the, the conversation between them. I think gives us a great insight into how Jakar has changed since the episode Dust to Dust. The the, the change that has happened in him. Mm-hmm. We get to really see it firsthand as he, you know, says, you know, I may spend the rest of my life trying to communicate what I saw and what I began to understand in that moment of perfect clarity. Mm. And and I love the response that Talon gives him, which is that was a stirring reply, Citizen Jakar. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, while all answers are replies, not all replies are answers, you haven't answered the question that I asked. But uh, I, I, the thing I really liked about it is when he talks about when he sees Talon, he's like, how long have you been waiting here? He says, well, three, four days. On the fifth day, I sleep. On the sixth day, I return. <laughs> and you know, the car says, you've been doing that this whole time since I've been incarcerated? He says, well, I saw an opportunity, and I didn't want to waste it. And I immediately, every time I hear that, I think, I would love to hire this man. <laughs> it didn't matter what you were hiring him for. That That is the one trait that I want to see in an employee. I saw an opportunity, and I didn't want to waste it. And this is what I've tried to do with my whole career and it frustrates me when I have people and I just see them wasting opportunity after opportunity to
0: improve themselves. You know, Joey, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I've been meaning to bring that up and talk to you about that. <laughs> oh, <screen> <laughs> 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 Sorry, you'll have to forgive us. That's a uh, inside joke. Yeah, inside joke. <laughs> Throwing something back in Joey's face from uh, uh, many years ago. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> There's a couple of uh, character things that happen in this. First one I want to mention is Garibaldi, when he gets the news that he's no longer in control and that Nightwatch is, is pissed. Goes irate. Storms down there. Yeah, throws a tantrum. I'm wondering, these are always tough questions to to answer, I know, but how do you think you'd react in that situation? This is your baby. This is, you've groomed everybody's, you know, supposedly. Now it's suddenly taken away and given to literally the enemy. How? Obviously, the smart de- decision is not to do anything.
1: <laughs> but do you think you could? I, I don't think I could sit back calmly and and watch this happen. I would have gone down there and I would have made a similar, hopefully better worded, impassioned plea. <laughs> you so you would have? Yeah. You think you would have
0: broken and just gone? Yeah. See, I have moments like that at work all the time. Well, at least they feel like that way to me. You know, I you know, uh, maybe I'm overreacting just a tad to you know what isn't a uh, you know a quite dramatic yes. But uh, you I usually emo. I, <laughs> <laughs> I always do them internally. Mm. I will have the argument with my boss. With my employee, you know, the irrational argument, you know, which is, you know, you're an idiot, you're a moron, you're doing this all completely wrong, Um, why did you do that, don't you have a brain in your head, Um, you know what, if you don't appreciate me, screw you, I quit, those types of things, I do them all internally, and I just let it kind of fester, and then I think it ends up just going away over time. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> so I know what you're thinking right now I do not want to be around when you snap man <laughs> do you own a sniper rifle? Right <laughs> I know there's plenty of bell towers out around no I own a
0: sniper shotgun okay <laughs> uh, no I, I think that I I am able to just let the rage go inside me it just burns out and I think it does it burns mm-hmm. out I go home I sleep it off it's a lot different than what I used to be. I, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I used to take the baseball bat and I would go across into the, the vacant, field. vacant field and I would beat the ground or I would hit the weeds. I would do that for, for you know maybe a minute, 30 seconds, get the aggression out, calmly walk back in. <laughs> By the way, I think it scared the most people is when they saw me calmly walking out. With a baseball bit, bat? Yeah, with a slight grin on my face, you know, not really, you know, noticing anyone else. Uh, I think that the, those people who saw me in those times, they were, like, probably the most nervous at that point. Um, yeah, I, I guess that shows that's, us as
1: two different kind of people. That's true. I will say that when it comes to conversations with my superiors, it's a different story. I always make sure that when I'm talking to someone where I am what you might call the supplicant, um, that I keep my emotions completely in check. And I go to them and I say, You know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be drama. I don't want to introduce drama into the equation here. I just want you to know that I don't like the way things are going. And if they don't change, I am, I'm going to move on. Because I could certainly go do this somewhere else. And I try to keep it. And in fact, uh, I recently advised the intern, Aaron, um, when he needed some some help from our father, I told him, look, here's what you do. You treat it like a business deal. You have to stay calm and rational the whole time. If you start getting emotional, you've lost already. Why why are you grinning? I'm so sorry. (laughs) When you said supplicant, I
0: automatically thought, supplicant, supplicant. And I just imagine you sitting in your boss's office and him just kind of... Petting your arm, saying, hmm, that's so supple. That's so nice. Thank you for being the supplicant. Well, I, I'm glad you were
1: listening to the. <laughs> I was listening, but
0: I was like trying. It took a lot in me not to just, you know, start laughing at that thought.
2: <laughs>
0: Joey the supplicant. <laughs> All right, the second character thing I wanted to mention was Zach. I've been frustrated with Zach. I okay. mean uh, I mean he has this s- s- whole casual like, "Eh, well, eh, this be, this whatever, whatever happens eh, happens." Eh. And th- I mean aside from that, which is a little annoying, he's on the wrong side yeah. of the issue. We know that because we're watching. He doesn't know that because he has no other idea. He doesn't even realize that there are two sides. Yes. Yeah. I it was nice to finally see him presented with enough of the information that he could say oh wow okay this is wrong this is bad i'm going with you garibaldi even though he has the nice line when garibaldi says all right zach you're you're doing the right thing here he's like yeah everybody's been telling me that a lot lately (laughs) and i don't know who means it (laughs) but i you know i think i'm comfortable with this one here so you know we're going forward you know he helps to set the trap for the security he does the uh, the nice Indiana Jones slide out of the door. What would have been nice is if he had dropped his PPG and he could suddenly reach,
1: reach back, back in. <laughs> I thought, watching this, I always think, why is there such a delay between the two doors opening? If this was a real space station, and all you have to do is just trigger the system as though there's a hole breach, those doors would both come instantly. Yeah. So there would be no delay like that. Yeah, no kidding. Um, okay.
0: And uh, that, that's really all of the things I wanted to mention. I, well, I forgot to mention there was martial law on Babylon 5. We yeah. forgot to mention that part of it. That, that's part of why there was so much hysteria uh, amongst a lot of the people. So, Joey, do you have anything else you want to
1: bring up? I do. Um, just another little snippet here from the J. Michael Straczynski script book. He says, here's a funny story. During the course of Babylon 5's production, it was not uncommon for VIPs to come through the stages on tours, ranging from fighter pilots to astronauts, scientists, several cast members from Mystery Science Theater 3000, <laughs> and the co creator of the Sylph and Ollie Sock Puppet talk show. <laughs> I never saw that. Did you? <laughs> never even heard of it. <sighs> so it wasn't uncommon for strange phone calls to be routed through my office. One day, the intercom on my phone buzzed, and the receptionist said, Joe, it's the Pentagon on line two. <laughs> I froze. The Pentagon? Wait, all of it? <laughs> I had a moment of panic. Look, about that whole registering for the draft thing when I was 17, I just forgot, okay? <laughs> we were moving around a lot, and I kept meaning to turn in my draft registration, but things got busy. I picked up the phone. The person on the other end introduced himself as a lieutenant colonel in the Pentagon's information bureau, and then said, listen, the reason I'm calling is... I was wondering if you could send my office synopses for the rest of the Season 3 episodes of your show. (laughs) Okay, I thought, somebody there has noticed the political content of the show, and now I'm going to be investigated, audited, strip-searched, and thrown into the nearest jail. (laughs) Um, sure, I could do that, I said, stalling for time, then asked the $10,000 question. Why? (laughs) Well, among many branches of the armed services, Babylon 5 is considered a force multiplier. Really? I said. That's great. So, what's a force multiplier? <laughs> <player? laughs> a morale booster. Why couldn't you just set them in the first place? I thought. I see, so why the synopses? Well, we have people here who tape the episodes and ship them around to different units on shipboard, as well as to air bases and army bases. But there are a lot of personnel who spend their days in foxholes and frontline positions where they don't have access to a VCR. They really want to know what happens next, and the easiest way to keep them up to date on the story is to fax synopses out to them, which is why we need them, since we haven't been able to navigate the Internet to pick up the summaries there. (laughs) So let me get this straight, I thought. You guys can blow up the planet 15 times over, but you're having a hard time navigating the Internet. (laughs) (laughs) That that was what I thought. What I said was, sure thing, we'll take care of it. (laughs) I arranged for our production office to send the Pentagon episode synopses every week thereafter. Because I support the armed forces and because you should always be nice to anyone who possesses tactical field nukes. <laughs> Less than a week later, my intercom buzzed again. It's the Secret Service, the voice at the <laughs> other end of the line announced. <laughs> this time I was sure somebody was messing with me. This couldn't possibly be legit. I picked up the phone. Let's just say it was legit. The speaker identified himself as with, an official with the Secret Service Public Relations Division. I just thought I'd let you know that you, guys, you have a bunch of fans in the Secret Service, he said. We get a real kick out of the show, especially the political aspects. Uh huh. I said, wondering where all of this was going. Anyway, the reason I'm calling is, we've seen some of the top secret document covers you're using on your show, and I've been authorized to tell you they're wrong. <laughs> they're, they're wrong? Yeah. Somebody there in your art department probably got his hands on some of the, some previously declassified and published co- de- covers, but those are ten years out of date. We're going to send you the right ones. <laughs> We've just declassified stuff with the new covers, so it's not a problem, and we're happy to do it. He said, if you don't mind sending us some Babylon 5 stuff you've got laying around. You've got a deal, I said. <laughs> Great, he said, I'll send off a care package with the right covers and maybe a little extra. How about a Secret Service t-shirt, I said. I think we can pull off something, he said. A week later, a package arrived from the White House. Inside were a clutch of document covers m- marked Top secret. I took them down to the art department and gave them to John Ayakavelli, suggesting that we not only use these henceforth, but that we feature them in shots here and there. So when Sheridan picks up the communique he just received from EarthGov authorizing martial law and holds it up in front of the camera as Ivanova enters, you're looking at one of those covers, modified with the Earth Force logo. We were also careful to feature it again and again in, this, in the show. We used the hell out of it. Because we knew the Secret Service was watching, and it just never hurts to keep those guys happy. <laughs> the box also contained a polo shirt about, uh, um, bearing an embroidered silhouette of the White House. And below it, just in case you couldn't figure out what you were looking at, was the words, The White House. <laughs> when I subsequently called back our contact to tell him we'd received the package, I thanked him for the document covers and then turned my attention to the shirt. So why doesn't it say Secret Service on it, I asked. He paused at the other line before saying, In a tone of voice normally reserved for speaking to especially slow children, Because if we put secret service on our shirts, we wouldn't be very secret, now would we? (laughs) That's pretty funny. I thought that was good. That That was was really funny. The idea of, uh, I I honestly, when I read it through the first time, because my wife and I read the essay before we watch the episode each each night, um, I honestly expected them to say, well, the president wants to know what's going to happen this week. (laughs) Come on, if if you can't use your the presidential office to get J. Michael Straczynski to tell you what's going to happen in this week's Babylon 5 episode, what good is that? <laughs> oh, that's really. Funny. Do we have any uh listener
0: comments? This yes, week? we do. We got uh, three listeners sent in. Uh we missed the Bobs again.
1: So, I don't know what them Bobs are doing. Yeah, I you know, I think I mentioned yeah, with the rioting that's going on there, I I think it's okay if they're a little distracted right <laughs> now. Well, it
0: was happening in size neighborhood. That's true.
1: And I know it did move to other areas,
0: uh, but, um, you know, still no excuse. You, no, it's you excuse. leave those, that couple alone. You've done enough to their marriage. <laughs> yeah, I have. I certainly have. Uh, okay, we'll start with Moneybags. He says, uh, finally, some action. I gotta say, season three has kind of been a snooze, uh, with the exception of the first two episodes of this week. Um, point of no return a great build up to the next episode I felt tense watching this episode also a good Londo plot that I had completely forgotten about Londo is more reflective in this episode I'm guessing this is because Morden is out of the picture and no longer pushing Londo toward the dark side Londo differentiates himself from Rifa when he says everything he does is for his people it's true and that's what makes his story so sad And he uses, or tries to use, the classic villain excuse of, there's no choice. But Lady Morella shuts him down. It's true. She does a great job of throwing that right in his face. Uh, When the series is over, I would like to revisit her prophecy. I've never been able to figure out what it means. Hmm.
1: Maybe, Maybe I should just email him
0: uh oh, we can wait and we can cover okay. it. I think as as part of a, a season wrap up or perhaps series wrap up. Maybe there's specific uh, prophecy or stuff or things that were hinted at that weren't overtly, you know, thrown out there as you know, given an answer. But later, you know, we can hit all of the foreshadowing bells that we did before, and you know, maybe point them out. I think that would be fun. Uh, TV seven, sci-fi six. Um okay next is listener uh BS. Brainy Smurf. What's up, my favorite Mormons? I hope Aaron is there too. If he is, tell him I'm sorry that I suggested that he be exchanged. <laughs> he was very funny last week. Additionally, his support for the George Lucas Strikes Back submission was duly noted and appreciated. <laughs> Um, uh, let's see here. Crushing Greatness? Do we have these in the right order? Oh, sorry. I should have read his next line. This episode should have been titled, Crushing Greatness. <laughs> I think that this is the least annoying performance ever given by the late Major Barrett. Even though Luoxana was, whatever she was, I will... Uh, always fondly remember the actress as the voice of the computer on Voyager. Majel is correct in her assessment that extraordinary capabilities are most appreciated from a distance. I figure that the distance from Pittsburgh to Utah suffices for the overlords to stomach my transcendental BS insights and revelations. (laughs) Uh, yes, that's just far enough. Thank you. <laughs> Don't move any closer.
2: <laughs>
0: and now we have Jerry Doyle's personal interpretation of crushing greatness. As he backhandedly attempts to derail an awesome episode <laughs> with his tough guy routine. <laughs> okay, well somebody's not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is flowing with deft pacing. Jacquard and Talon have a super cool moment outside of Jakar's quarters, and then, bam, it's Mr. Uh, I'm the guy who's supposed to get the part that I'm gonna get. (laughs) Nobody, I mean nobody, is worse than Doyle at trying to act tough. Oh good, we're back to Jakar and Talon. As Talon iterates, unfortunately, while all answers are replies, not all replies are answers. You did not answer the question that I asked. It's too bad that Talon did not direct his piercing demand for clarification at the most non-question-answering, uh, enigmatic character ever, Dela Reese. <laughs> Referring to Kosh. Yep. Yeah, got it. But this scene is fantastic because these two Narn are both the best characters and amongst the highly skilled actors on Babylon Five. And then there is Doctor Feelgood. <laughs> He has recently revealed himself to be a caught in a hopeless cycle of addiction, fueled by his excessively busy work schedule. And when Babby 5 is smoldering with riots, we can assume that the medical staff might have some extra work to do. Yes? The people just rioted right through the box's martial law announcement. Maybe Draw will help with a system upgrade. And then, And then, <laughs> following the announcement... Uh, sorry, uh, Baccalaureate? <laughs> Joey and I were joking around that each time we rang that tonight, we would say... Baccalaureate. Baccalaureate. I nearly missed my cue. <laughs> Clearly you haven't trained me well enough with the bell, sir. Um, Sorry, sorry, sorry. Dr. Feelgood is just hanging out in the box's office? Anyway, moving on. Wow. Let's not do any more close-ups of Jakar's boots. Where is his cape, anyway? Well, yay, Zach finally comes through, and then both Jakar and the box give some kick-ass little speeches. But how does a heat-pulse PPG gun ricochet? <laughs> I don't care, because the non-cops are here. I need to know what's up with the balcony at the end, with Ivanova and the box and the shrubbery. It seems very Evita, or very Mussolini. <laughs> the last scene was Jakar... Is timeless. Conspirator Jakar, I want in. That's great acting. Uh, arcing? He wrote A-R-C-I-N-G. <laughs> arcing? That's great arcing. A great arcing. Um, from ambassador to citizen to inmate to conspirator. Yeah, Sci-Fi arcing, 9, yeah. TV 8. Okay. He meant what he typed. <laughs> Alright, uh Aaron uh writes in. Great episode. I love the Jakarta moments. Plus the downfall of Night takeover of security. Uh Sci Fi 7, TV eight.
1: Okay. Pete, how about your science fiction rating?
0: Okay, hi Go Next? Yes. Uh okay, because I didn't see anything written up on the board over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's don't great don't the think I would notice old. that. <laughs>
1: Uh, Science Fiction, I think that this is really solid. It's good. I give this a 7. I give it a 7 as well. You have The Prophetess, the whole thing with Nightwatch, and we do have some good CGI here. Uh, For television, I think that
0: this also works really well as a television episode. Um, Despite the Doyle (laughs) performances as he throws stuff around, um, I
1: think it's a 7. Okay. I actually... I wasn't, I wasn't bothered by the Doyle performances in this. I feel like it's actually one time where Garibaldi's character is played effectively. I gave it an 8. The P5 rating for this episode is 9.31. Moving on to our next episode, Severed Dreams. Babylon 5 declares its independence from Earth. That's it? That's all it is. Yeah. Something? So uh, General Haight dies off camera. <laughs> Do you know why? No, I don't. For two years, says J. Michael Szczecinski, we had been carefully building up the Earth Civil War and Sheridan's place in a web of conspiracies. For two years, we had made it clear to all concerned that General Haig would be back to finish in a blaze of glory what he had started. I wrote the script. We arranged our schedule around the dates when we were told that the actor in question, Robert Foxworth, would be available. We checked, double checked, and triple checked his availability. Then, shortly before filming was to com- commence, John Copeland walked in my office with the following pronouncement: "Foxworth can't do severed dreams." What? I said. His agent called to apologize. Said he was double booked by accident, on another show. Ugh. Even though we were there first, the other show paid more money. And what other show? I interrupted. "Deep Space Nine," oh. said John. What? Well, which in truth is not precisely what I said. What I actually said was yeah, nice. <laughs> a huge, bold font, what with an exclamation point after it, followed by a number of other words in an even larger font, which do not bear repeating here. But he hopes he can come back in a later episode, John said. Thus it was on that day General Haig went from conquering hero to several chunks of dead meat floating in the cold vacuum of space. <laughs> Not that I take these things personally, mind you. Besides, killing off Haig would raise the stakes in the story. At least, that's what I told myself to make the situation more palatable. <laughs> After getting the news that Foxworth would not be available, I went out to a late dinner at a place called the Takeout Cafe in Studio City, which is now gone. The cafe was often frequented by actors, and sure enough, there were a few present that night, including an actor I recognized from Twin Peaks, Everett McGill. Now, I'm a big fan of Twin Peaks, and I loved his work. But for the life of me, that night I couldn't recall his name. I may have the worst memory for act- actors on the face of the planet, but I knew his work, work, and I thought he'd do a terrific role for the do terrific for the role now vacant, vacated, vacated by Foxworth. Sorry, I'm stumbling here. So after finishing dinner, I went over to his table, introduced myself, said that I was a big fan, and I had a role in mind for him. He smiled, nodded, probably thought I was a nut, since everybody in town says he's producer of one thing or another and went my merry way. The next day I called her casting director and told her of the encounter. She listened carefully and wrote down Twin Peaks. What's the actor's name again? She asked. It was a big cast and she hadn't watched the show. I don't remember, I said in those pre-IMDB.com days. If I heard it again though, I'd remember. We both thought about it for a moment and finally I said, I think it was something McGill. McGill, McGill. Bruce McGill, she said. Yeah, I think that's it. Perfect, she said. I know him. He's great. I'll get right on it. She had to move fast because we were about to shoot, which meant a straight offer, no audition. And that, I thought, was the end of the casting situation until I walked into the next few days to say hello to Everett McGill and met Bruce McGill. (laughs) (laughs) Make no mistake, as noted earlier, Bruce did an amazing, exemplary job in the role. He brought a friendly, sympathetic, but strong presence that made the part come alive. But I have to say... With people like me running TV shows, it kind of makes you wonder some days how anything gets made, doesn't it? <laughs> it explains a few things to me, but, uh, <laughs> he, he continues, as we got down to the wire with our special effects deliveries, we were with over 100 CGI and effects shots required to pull this episode off, we weren't quite sure if we'd make it. A couple people suggested that we just have Sheridan on the p- station PA. We could easily cut around the dialogue concerning drawl and go right to people around the station listening and looking up at the PA system. But thematically, it was important to me to show this episode as a transition, not just between earth and independence, but as Sheridan growing into something greater than he had anticipated. The image of him hovering godlike over the crowds foreshadows the... <laughs> we will see in the... After of Baccalaureate, baccalaureate, <laughs> baccalaureate. I thought it would be work, work better than beeping it out. <laughs> Lots of foreshadowing <laughs> in that sentence. At the same as, as some measure of how difficult this ep- episode was to finish, co-producer George Johnson was standing by at the post-production house the night it was to be satellite uplinked to the TV stations that comprised P10 to personally drive the episode to the uplink facility and arrived bare minutes before it was to go out to the affiliates. We could not possibly have cut it any closer, but the results, I think, speak for themselves. Uh you know I, I can't disagree. This is really
0: a good episode. Absolutely. I, I think it's good. Um, it uh, begins uh, with Alexander uh, firing on other Earth's ships and uh, they are heading to Babylon 5. Um, we also learn that uh, bombs, ha- uh, sorry, Mars has decided not to declare martial law. And they get bombed because of it. Yep. Now, we don't really see much except for the the, dome. the, the ship coming in, firing off, hitting the dome, big explosion, and then kind of cuts away. Yeah. That's got to kill everyone in there. Yeah. <laughs> everyone in that dome is probably dead at this point. Yeah. And did they just do it to that one dome? Don't know. We don't know. Um, okay. Okay. Anyway, it's a pretty big deal, uh, at least from what, you know, I could uh, tell of, of that explosion. Yeah. It seems like everyone's just going to get, you know, either sucked right on out or they're just no more... No more oxygen to breathe. Yeah, man. no more atmosphere. Um, we also find out that the Shadow have allied themselves with many non-aligned worlds. And they're just out there fomenting war and chaos. Yes, causing problems not going to be helpful, really. Uh, we come to find out that Proxima 3 and Orion 7 have also declared independence. Now, these are the other colonies that uh, um, are out there within the Earth Alliance. Yep. And they appear to be ones who had been towing the line, apparently, because we always heard about the Mars revolts, the Mars issues, Free the Mars. Mars yeah. yeah, all of that stuff. Uh, we never really hear much about these guys. Are there more than just Mars, Proxima 3, and Orion 7? Those
1: are the ones that have where the entire planet is pretty much populated by humans. There are certainly installations on other planets, but these are the, the three big colony worlds that we have. I see.
0: Okay. Um, and now also, uh, ISN decides to report the truth. Or that you know whoever that the producer, uh, producer yeah. is
1: who comes on and says, You know what? I can't do this anymore. Well. You have to know the truth. Why he does it is because he says, you know what, we're about to get taken off the air anyway. We saw the soldiers marching down the street. So before we get taken off the air, I'm going to quickly tell you, here's the information. Proxima 3 and Orion 7 have declared independence. You know, we're going to stay on the air as long as we can. And then there's the explosion and the debris falls from the ceiling. That debris fell in the wrong spot. It was not supposed to hit the actress. Oh, and really? So when she jumps back, she's genuinely like frightened. <laughs> hey, it worked. Yeah, it, it worked. Maybe they should do that more
0: often. Just lie to the actor. Okay, it'll be something that falls over here, and then just well, really hit him. <laughs> That'd be great. Um. Anyway, so ISN is effectively taken off air. Yep. Clark is assuming control more and more and more of these uh, things, and he's starting to lose control. A big fight is about to happen. At Babylon 5. Big. <laughs> big. Yeah. Super cool, big. Um, now, while the graphics aren't, you know, what you would expect from, you know, something really big like the, the most recent Star Trek uh, movie. movie, it's still, I think, really kind of pretty good.
1: Yeah, they did uh, a give, really good job.
0: Given technology at its current level for them, I, I think they did a good job. With uh, with what they had, yeah. Um, so Babylon Five is deciding they're going to fight. They can either acquiesce or they can, you know, let's Decline fight. Independence. They go around the room and they, just, you know, all of the main characters say, "Yeah, let's fight. We fight." Um, Dylan yes, heads off, and uh, before she leaves. Yeah. By the way, yeah. The, the um, sorry, the Alexander shows up. Mm -hmm. And then what's the other ship? The Churchill?
1: Yeah, I think that's right.
0: Okay. So those ships show up, and they're basically saying, okay, bad things are about to happen here, guys. We need to get prepared. What do you guys want to do about
1: this? Then uh, Delenn takes off. Before she leaves, she tells Lanier something very interesting. Mm. I wondered if there's anybody that you know that you could say, I will support any action you take in my absence. Nobody related to the
0: podcast, I'd say that to. <laughs> well, it's a good thing you're just a guest host. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? That's, that's not that, a fair question. That is
1: a lot of trust.
0: That, I, I don't have an answer for that, quite honestly. <laughs> I don't know that I have somebody I could just say, you know what? I know I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Not even your wife. <laughs>
1: we'll get to that. <laughs> we will discuss that here in the second You know, episode.
0: I think I am trusted as that role. Uh, I, yeah. think, I think the, the bosses within my company more than once have basically said, yeah, we're all going to be gone, you're in charge, Pete, kind of thing. Uh, and I know that they've given me enough control over various projects And uh, clients to to know, I could step in and do the role of the owner if they weren't around
1: because I would know where the line was. Sure. Um, I've been trusted that way too, but I've never found someone that I felt I could trust to that extent. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's fair. It's tough for us to be able to (laughs) relinquish control. So Delenn is heading off to go meet up with the Grey Council. How she knows where they're at, not
1: really sure. Because she knows the secret wavelength that they broadcast on. She was. You think so? You no, think oh yeah. they haven't oh yeah. changed that? No. No. Okay. Well, whatever.
0: She finds them. Never mind that she finds them really quick. <laughs> we'll overlook that too. She finds them. She goes in, and some guy tries to stop her and say, hey, you can't. They may not listen to you. She's like, get out
1: of my way. Now. Yeah. She says, uh, you will step aside. In, she's talking about how she's the chosen of Dukat to replace him. She says, you will step aside in his name and mine, or I will tear this ship apart with my bare hands until I find them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I just
1: I love it when the gets forceful. Didn't
0: she say, "For in Valen's name, I will tear the ship apart No, she my say after that, She
1: says something like, in Valen's name, I will I will not be stopped or something like that. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, because I knew she invoked Valen's name. Yep. Storms
0: in. Everybody's listening to her. <laughs> Whether they are truly showing respect or what I like to believe is that they're saying, oh, this is going to be a fun train wreck. i got to have a front seat for this one. <laughs> and she goes to task on him and says, we
1: need to get involved in this now. Yeah. Because they had, she she got the line from that ranger. The Great Council has declared the problems of other races are not ours, and this is dead in the face of everything Valen taught them. When he when he <laughs> almost said too much. There. <laughs> 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 everything everything that Valen taught them. Okay, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Uh, I wanted to read from the script book here. He says, uh, he's talking about how. Uh, Bruce Boxleitner's character, he, Bruce Boxleitner himself r- really went through a long arc of um, really growing into the role here. And he says, it's fitting that lens arc goes through almost an identical turn in this episode. The breaking of the Great Council is emblematic of Sheridan's break from Earth, a rejection or overthrowing of the authority that had guided both of their characters from the start of our series. Mira delivers a great performance, only slightly hindered by the fact that when it came time to break the staff of the Grey Council, its symbol of power, she couldn't get it to break. It had been pre-scored, gently glued, but when it came time to snap, it refused, take after take. Mira's reaction ranged from frustration to laughter. Finally, since we'd burned through all of our wide shots, we got her breaking a pre-broken staff in close-ups, where if you look carefully, you can see her smiling. I, I've always I always see that when she's got like this grimace on her face and then she's she's laughing and I always thought that was kind of weird. <laughs> there you go. That's why.
0: Why didn't she just break it over her knee or something? <laughs> it could have been just as forceful. I, I just I choose to believe that Mirafirlan is just not strong enough. <laughs> um, okay, so she basically says, I think she's talking to the religious cast. There, she says, "Look, you are the religious cast."
1: Come on, and the worker caste. She tells them both to follow her. Oh, I didn't. She specifically says she was saying. She says, "Okay, between us and the worker caste, we have two thirds of the great council. Follow me now, and leave the the warrior caste here to ponder their stupidity." That's not exactly what she says, but it's the essence. So then five walk out.
0: Right. Which would be the the three worker cast and then the two religious cast, leaving the four that are the warrior cast. Correct. Um, and they follow her. We fast forward over to Sheridan saying goodbye to his dad.
1: Ron Howard's father. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: I recognized him. Okay. Um, then Babylon 5 secedes from the Earth Alliance. Yes. And basically says, Hey, I'm we're done here, guys. Yep, and we're declaring independence. Yeah, we're we're gone. Um next we see <laughs> a massive fleet of ships start to come through the jump, gate. the jump gate. And um we have the big battle. Ships firing on each other back and forth. There is a breaching pod that yep. comes in. I thought I thought it was convenient that it seemed to be red versus blue red laser <laughs> versus blue laser well that is half the <laughs>
1: battle <laughs> <laughs> you're half being knowing I
0: don't know if you noticed that but as I watched I was like you know the bad guys sure seem to be shooting off a lot of red and the
1: good guys sure seem to be using a lot I of didn't blue notice
0: that.
1: But they, I- it, they did okay I do have something else here from this from the book here um We were so convincing in our chaotic hand-to-hand fighting that a mishap, a mishap occurred. Jerry Doyle, rushing into a scene, tripped over a stuntman on the ground, fell, and broke his arm. Filming stopped at once, and he was cleared to leave the set. We were prepared to rush into a hospital. But Jerry, ever a trooper, knowing how much was at stake with this episode and that this was his moment, refused to leave. He covered up his injury as best he could and did the scene again for a close-up, only to trip, fall and break his arm a second time. Oh, good lord. He still didn't want to leave until the end of the sequence, which shows him slowly sliding down a wall onto the floor. If you look carefully at the scene, Jeff Conaway is being very solicitous of Jerry's condition. The pale, sweating look of shock on Jerry's face (laughs) is the real deal. (laughs) And as as the pain and shock of having his arm broken twice in the same day began to set in, you can see his right hand already badly swollen, the arm dangling limp as he drops to his helmet. Ironically, the script called for Garibaldi to be injured, but as written, it was his leg that had been clipped. The later scene where we see that injured leg was filmed prior to Jerry getting his real injury. So when he's ed- so when edited, he's limping in the aftermath of the battle instead of having his arm in a cast. Fortunately, he kept his right hand in his pocket during the entire scene, mitigating the error a bit.
0: Yeah, th- I was going to have something to say about that in the next episode, <laughs> because I said... Now Garibaldi is in a sling? That's why. <laughs> what Franklin? How bad of a doctor is he that he gives him a cane when he has a broken arm? Like honestly. I didn't
1: think of it that way. <laughs> honestly, when I got to that I thought what in the world were they thinking? I mean, I mean he yes. was on stems. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean yes, I realized that there must have been something else that had happened to the to Jerry Doyle. I, I knew that. I didn't know what, but I just thought that seems really odd. And they tried and pass it off as, yeah, I guess uh, when all that stuff was happening, I broke my arm. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so so ridiculous. And I don't think he had his cane. No, in didn't. the next <laughs> in that next episode either. Oh, oh well. So the big firefight is happening. Um, some ships blow up. The Churchill decides, you know what? All we have left, ram. That's awesome. I let's, love that. Let's just ram
1: and it it goes. Every time they do that I just start giggling. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know, when when all else fails, we're in outer space. If I run into you hard enough, one of us is going to die.
0: <laughs> yes. Um and then uh, you know in the the very thick of things, um more Earth Alliance vessels well, they just, they just show had, up.
1: Really had fought back, and mm-hmm. and uh, is it Corwin who says, "Boy, it's a good thing that ended when it did." I don't think we could have taken much more. Boop, here comes the jump <laughs> gate open, and more cruisers flying through. More
0: come through, and suddenly several jump points open. Yep, and we have the Mimbari ships to the rescue. And they come flying through, and Delenn delivers, in my opinion, got to be one of the most awesome lines Absolutely. ever. Now, I know you were planning to to mention this, so could we have
1: you read yeah. it now? Yeah, so uh, she, you know, she announces, this is Ambassador Delenn of the Minbari. Babylon 5 is under our protection. Withdraw or be destroyed. <laughs> the Earth captain says, negative, we have authority here. Do not force us to engage your ships. And her response to that is just classic. She says, why not? Uh, I don't need to. Uh, Read. Why not? Only one human captain has survived battle with a Minbari fleet. He is behind me. You are in front of me. If you value your lives, be somewhere else. (laughs) And I love the the verb that she chooses there. Be somewhere else. Don't just leave, but you need to be somewhere else and right now. (laughs) She
0: delivers that, and it has got to be one of the best lines uh, delivered at least this far into this. With the exact right amount of energy. The inflection. Yes, emotion in that. It is, you
1: know, don't mess with the lens today. So here's what J. Michael Straczynski says. After writing what was going to be the biggest EFX battle sequence ever produced for television... It was clear that the script needed one more element to knock the whole thing out of the park, but it couldn't be another battle. By the time the second round of Earth Force ships appear, another big CGI fight scene would be redundant. It had to be a character moment, not an action moment. I needed one line. I fretted for days, trying to figure out what that line would be. I finished the first draft and was about to send it out to be published, still not sure what Dylan would say when finally, from somewhere in the ether from whatever place writers go when this stuff happens, there came what may be D'Lynn's most famous line. The moment was so strong that I later cut out most of what followed, including more in Minbari ships arriving on the scene, and even those still bits, even though those still, even though those bits still appear in the script, there's simply nothing that can follow that line without deflating the moment. Mm, I agree.
0: Yeah, definitely agree about that. Um, he mentions uh, from somewhere within the ether. Is he? Is he administering ether? Is he <laughs> right?
1: Uh, I think he get see... regular visits from the ether bunny.
0: <laughs> I don't think that that's an appropriate <laughs> thing to do to your body to write. Oh, uh, well, I, it appears to have been successful Would for you him. have preferred
1: the ether? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, okay, so then we see a scene of death and destruction. You know, as we pan around the various areas of you know, the, where the battles took place, whether hand-to-hand or or whatnot. And I think that that is a much, much better scene of death than what we saw with the grow pose. Yeah. You know, where they had that cheesy music as everybody is lying, you know, on the ground with ketchup coming off of the side of their head. <laughs> you know, this scene actually gets you moving a little bit more. I would agree, yeah. Um, and then at the very end, we have to end with... The awkward hand kiss? Uh, no, I was oh. gonna say the ridiculously silly slow clap. Oh. <laughs> As Sheridan goes out there and you know meets everybody and someone's like And then finally everybody gets clapping. Golly, that was so dumb. That's just a a bad, bad thing to do. Um okay, I don't have anything else to say. Listener comments. Comments. Okay, money bags. He says This is one of my favorite episodes. It has everything. Tons of arc-related stuff, prophecy, space battles, and even a great line, uh, Delenn's line to the Earth Force ships at the end. Sometimes I forget what a badass she is. (laughs) This episode even has a great name, Broken Dreams or Shattered Dreams. Wouldn't have had the same ring. Severed, prompts a more visceral reaction, I think. Though, honestly, I think it would have worked to call this one point of no return, that being the name of this season. It feels like this episode is the defining episode of the season more than the previous one. TV 9, Sci-Fi 8. I kind of agree with him. Okay, kind of. A little bit.
1: Okay.
0: Um Britney Smurf. This is an awesome title. Did call
1: him Brittany Smurf? No,
0: Brainy oh. Smurf. I swear you said Brittany. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. This Go ahead. Uh, this is an awesome title for an episode. Seriously awesome writing and some tones of Hitchcockian directing. The scoring of this episode was very strong as well. As JMS recently indicated, through Joey, he prefers to write in a circumstance of crunch time. He prefers shadow style over Vorlon style. (laughs) Instead of carefully planning out details or constructing an outline, JMS likes to just jump into the chaos. Couldn't we refer to this as shadow style writing? (laughs) So far, we have learned that the Vorlon seek order may be a little too vigilantly. In this episode, we learn that the shadows are influencing many other worlds, as they have the Centauri so they encourage chaos. For some yet-to-be-explained reason, the Shadows aim to instill disorder. But the world as we know it is much closer to the Shadow style than to Vorlon. Our civilization has always been forged through the military. Most of our resources are still dedicated to the military. And free market economy is totally Shadow style, is it not? It is competition breeds strife and in turn progress. Maybe the shadows will eventually have some um, explain uh, someone explain their side of the story. Maybe this person will appear just in time to talk to the box before he jumps to any conclusions. (laughs) Nice, by the way. (laughs) Sci-fi 9 TV 9. Uh, Aaron I like the guy that plays Sheridan's father Delenn gives one of the coolest lines ever when she saves the day Sci-Fi 6, TV 8 Okay Uh, Without the the board to tell me I'm just going to guess you
1: go next with Sci-Fi rating We can do it that way if that's that's what you want I think that would be okay (laughs) Uh, For science fiction I'm giving this one a 9 You have the awesome space battles you have the the side effects of what happened. You have the declaration of independence from Earth. You have the breaking of the of the Great Council in fulfillment of prophecy. I'm giving this a nine. You know,
0: I, I don't think it's that high. Um, I had originally given this six because I thought for the most part this is an action episode. Um, uh, I you know it's more explosions. And whatnot, and while I agree, that's science fiction, don't think it's a high nine kind of side. I'm going to come back, I'm going to come up, I'm going to say a seven for, for science okay. fiction.
1: Uh, for television, I give it an, an eight. It's really, really powerful stuff. I, I love the Dillon line. I, I think I mentioned to you when we were talking on the phone that for years that was the error message sound effect on my computer. Whenever there was a, any kind of error message pop up, you would hear Dylan telling you to be somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I
0: agree with you. The, the, this is an eight uh, for me as well. The I think this episode could be watched by nearly everybody. Even though it's ARC stuff happening, I still think that people can get enough of what's going on because they... They blend in enough of the chaos of what's going on with EarthGov. Okay. And then we have uh, ISN reporting. We have the Mars
1: planet getting blown up. I think they they can watch this. I, I see your point, but I feel like it's a little bit like similar to the rule that I have in my house where if you're going to watch the movie adaptation of a book, you have to read the book first. I won't let my kids watch Indian in the Cupboard, which is on our TiVo, because they haven't finished the book yet. Because there are nuances that you will will allow you to enjoy it so much more if you have all these seasons of, of TV behind you. If you've been emotionally scarred by having to watch the bad I, acting I, of season I, one, the payoff is so much sweeter. No, I, I,
0: I don't think I agree with you on this. I, I, I see what you're trying to get at, but I don't think that the analogy works here. Okay. Uh, because I think the, the book is going to give you a proper understanding of what the characters go through the movie oftentimes will cut out right you know the portion of you know what you think is the favorite bit and they will you know whoever is that writer for that movie puts in his own adaptation and spin off of the original um i think that this works on a scale i'm not sure why you felt the need to disagree with me considering the fact that we both gave it an 8 under your guise none of what you're going to see with, with the rest of this season could ever possibly get a
1: 10 for television then. All I'm saying is I don't want, to, I don't want it to sound like I'm promoting people going out and just showing this episode to someone. I think that you could and people would come, you away, could. Would come away You okay. could, but I think you would be cheating them of a, of a much richer experience.
0: I don't think they have to go through Season 1,
1: though. That's a pretty <laughs> painful
0: <laughs> place for them to have I was to making go. a
1: joke there about the emotional scars of surviving <laughs> okay, Season 1. Yeah, <laughs> I see. Uh, the P5 rating for this episode is 9.81. Moving on to our next episode, Ceremonies of Light and Dark. The remnants of Nightwatch on Babylon 5 kidnapped a and threatened to kill her unless Sheridan surrenders.
0: Really? We need a scarred
1: eyed <laughs> evildoer? He's not even the, supposed to be the bad guy, right? He's, He's supposed to be the leaders of the, the bad leader. guy. But we're supposed to buy that this sniper guy is just really creepy because he sings about the foot bone being connected to the leg bone? And his voice that, they, that yeah. he uses for that... He comes across looking mentally challenged instead of <laughs> scary. It's a big fail, yeah. in my opinion. I, I would agree with that.
0: Um, and uh, apparently this guy would have just been around on the station for quite
1: a long time. They've actually mentioned him before. Oh, really? Yeah. I, his name is Boggs. He, he's been mentioned as a character just in dialogue. They say, oh, Boggs did this here and there. Okay. Um, it was
0: goofy. Yes. For me. Um, we have a funeral ceremony. I like
1: the funeral ceremony.
0: I did not find it that moving.
1: I didn't necessarily find it moving but I I thought it was well done, well produced and the idea of sending them off into the the sun like that, I think that's a cool idea. Um, Londo
0: Tries to reason with Lord Rifa, which <laughs> seems to be an exercise in futility. If uh, well, it's
1: a good thing he thought to put that binary poison in his drink.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, so they decide they need to reset the computer to get all of the EarthGov passwords and commands yep. out of the system. Otherwise, they'll end up getting locked out. And EarthGov will be in
1: charge. Unfortunately, they left the original system disks back in their other jacket. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking if I was Garibaldi,
0: I would be recording Ivanova and Sheridan giving their verbal passwords. Well, they set new ones, right? Yes. I would have been recording those so that Garibaldi, if he decided, hey, you know what, I need to have this done, and then he can just play that at any time, I think that that would have been... I think that's the Garibaldi thing to do there.
1: Okay. We don't know that
0: he didn't. <laughs> it's never mentioned, though. <laughs> because he never needs it. Um, okay. We ha- we are also introduced to the Rebirth Ceremony. Introduced. yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Oh, reintroduced to it? Yeah. Th- we saw this in the Parliament of Dreams. This was the Minbari ceremony in the Parliament of Dreams where they eat the fruit. Oh, I. they didn't eat any fruit? They didn't get to that. They answered, they canceled the ceremony because Delyn was in the hospital. Well, they didn't talk about all of that other stuff at last time. No, she had said last time we did this very abbreviated version of it. This time we're doing the full ceremony. I see. So what is the full ceremony? Can you rehash what
0: each of those portions are? Not off the top of my head, sorry. Oh. We had a script book. Dang it! Wish we could have gotten those script
1: books. Well, I can... No, I'm
0: I'm giving you a hard time because that's what I do. (laughs) That's how you're defining yourself. (laughs) Well, yeah. Uh, There was something
1: about telling a secret... To someone. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry, I didn't realize that that's what you were looking for. I thought you were looking for, like, the whole entire ceremony, top to bottom. Oh, no. You have to reveal something about yourself that you've never told anyone. You have to give away something that's important to you. And then you eat some fruit. And then you eat some fruit. Okay. (laughs) But she doesn't talk in this episode about the fruit part. She doesn't talk about the actual... The, the physical act of the ceremony itself where they all sit together in the room and, and things like that. She's talking about, here's what you need to do in order to prepare for the rebirth ceremony. You have to give something away and you have to tell someone something about yourself.
0: And then you eat some fruit and get married. Yes. <laughs> That's what I remember. <laughs> uh, so, Delenn and some other captain from one of the other Minbari ships... Yes. Is captured. I can't remember what his name was. I don't think it matters too much.
1: Lanner, Lanner, something like that. (laughs) Landon, (laughs) Landon Calrissian. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And
0: Marcus. I can't remember why he ends up. He's like really mad or angry about this. He is. He doesn't want to
1: partake in this in the ceremony. Okay,
0: is that where the anger was was coming from? Is that what
1: you're talking about, or are you talking about when he, he gets mad that Dylan k- is kidnapped? I think it's that part. He He's mad because he left her alone. He feels like he's to blame for her being kidnapped.
0: Oh, right. Okay, that's right. That's right. Um, Okay, so Lanier shows up mm-hmm. after um, Marcus has gone through and Physically beat the crap out of everybody in this huge bar, which I had to roll my eyes at. Um, thankfully, we didn't have to watch a horrible hand-to-hand yeah, yeah, fight absolutely. scene. But I, I just, I, I have a hard time buying that Marcus can do anything, okay, that physical. I just, I'm, I have trouble with. It. Okay. Um, and Lanier shows up and says, "Hey, uh, you feel better about yourself now?" and uh, <laughs> You know, he's like, hey, you know, you need to participate in this rebirth ceremony. And Marcus basically brushes him off and says, no way. I have to find Delenn. Yeah. And uh, Lanier says, okay, well, I'll come back at another time and try and get this. And he's like, what are you talking about? It's like, this was uh, Delenn's last order to me. That is what I'm going to do. Um, It eventually provokes him to participate. uh, But... Lanier (laughs) drops a little bit of an emotional bomb
1: in that he specifies his love for Dylan. Here's what Jim Michael Straczynski says. As we began producing the series, there were a couple of different ways I could have gone with Lanier's character. Since his was a relatively minor role, all things being equal, I felt that time was better spent initially giving all of my attention to the main characters than getting to Lanier later. That changed when Bill Moomy came to me in the second season and said, So, listen, I think my character is in love with Delenn." <laughs> really? said I. Based on what? <laughs> I was intrigued because this was one of the options I'd been considering, but hadn't actually decided to go with yet. Well, it's pretty obvious, Bill said. I mean, the way he looks up to her won't raise even raise his eyes to meet her sometimes. The way he dotes on her, the guy's in love. He's like Lancelot. It's right there in the way you're writing him. Are you sure this is what you want? I asked in my best are you sure you want to make a deal with the devil on this one? Tone <laughs> of voice. Because unrequited love can never come to a good ending. Absolutely, he said. And with that the progression of the progression in Lanier's feelings, spoken aloud here for the first time by his character, was set in motion. A path that, once started, could not end anywhere else but Just remember that Lancelot's story is far from comedy. Yeah.
0: Um okay. So fast forward a bit more, they manage to get themselves out of the predicament. They you know, they break up the, the whole uh, evil gang of, of Nightwatch evildoers, <laughs> which really by the end consisted of what I could count four or five guys. Seems like they should have more. Four or five really guys. It feels like there were more at the beginning. But never mind. Never mind. Um, As they're trying to fight them all off, the really crazy guy. Or the mentally challenged (laughs) (laughs) guy. Goes to throw a knife. And Delenn notices it. And she starts running for him. And just jumps in the way of the knife as it's about to plunge into Sheridan. Yeah. Really? I... It's terribly overdone. The, you know, damsel throwing herself to save her lover. I found that just unbelievable. Okay. It just did not do anything for me at all. I like that scene. It, It... doesn't
1: work. I, I just don't think it's good. Okay. Uh, so they they all come to Delenn as she's laying in the hospital, and they each tell her they give her give away something of great value to them. They give their uniforms up, right? And they each tell her something they've never told anyone else. And I realize that I am the only person that, that on this podcast at this point listening or participating that likes Franklin. But the scene where Doctor Franklin goes in and says. I think I have a problem. is always very stirring for me. I the trouble is he didn't actually tell a secret. He didn't. But the fact that he I mean even opening up that much when you have something that you're hiding, and that's a, then that's a, an addiction like that. I can appreciate the the strength of will it took even to say that much. See, I get
0: what the whole. I get. I get the underst- I have an understanding of where I think that the minbari are supposed to be taking this which is some sort of i hate to use the word confession because in in everybody's case it, not everybody's case is it a confession of something of you know bad like hey i stole that you know really priceless thing from your house sorry about that <laughs> you know I, I don't mean confession necessarily like that but it's a way of a unburdening catharsis. yourself and allowing whoever it is that you decide to tell to help share that burden with you. I get where that symbolism goes. The trouble with Franklin is he doesn't reveal anything. Everybody has problems. Everyone has issues. I see what you're saying. He doesn't share anything with Delenn that he can unburden himself with. Now, I, I know what you're saying, that's still a huge step for him and that's a way of releasing what burden he does have but I just don't feel like that's truly in, at least within the spirit of what that ceremony okay, is I would about.
1: I would agree with that assessment that it's it falls short of the goal of the Minbari ceremony but I can appreciate from Franklin's standpoint how hard even that admission must have been and to him it feels like a victory just to even be able to tell someone that should we uh instigate a um a rebirth, a rebirth ceremony, ceremony also, amongst i i the actually West five i <laughs> came prepared tonight to tell something about myself and to give away something of great value are you prepared Pete I told my wife, I said, I am going to spring this on (laughs) Pete. i want to see what he does. (laughs) Okay,
0: you go first.
1: (laughs) So the thing that I am going to tell about myself that I have never told anyone before is that when I was about 16, 15, 16 years old, somewhere in there, I was taking jobs over the internet to break into buildings, steal items of value, and sell them to people. Wow, I made about three thousand dollars that way. I hope the statute of limitations is <laughs> <has checked>. expired. <laughs> 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 I, t- I thought, what? what can I, what can I possibly tell you? Wait, I wonder if I can tell people about that now. <laughs> yes, breaking, entering, and theft—several oh, several instances. Gosh. No wonder you have a file. <laughs> <laughs> So what's your what's your secret that you've never oh, told anyone? Gosh, secret that I've never told anyone before.
0: Um, gosh, I, I wish I could say, well, um, you know, here's this great secret. Uh, I, I could t- I could tell you that uh, I'm secretly afraid of women, uh, but I think everyone already knows that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I gosh, this is tough. I. This is great podcast material, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, uh, the best I think I can come up with is to say, um, Joey, I, I, I have a problem. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> I think so that. <laughs> I just defended it so I'm going to have to accept that. Right, no, 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 no. Uh, let, let me give you something I think uh, okay. l- at least a little re- l- legitimate here, um which is uh no, I think I I just realized I I was about to tell you I I think I'm uh smarter than um one of my bosses, but I've already told you that before. Um I I would have to say I am Far more lazier than I allow people to to see to notice about myself.
1: Interesting. Okay.
0: Uh, So sometimes there's more of a persona, a facade put up that uh, is propped (laughs) in various areas (laughs) to indicate uh, you know that I am not as lazy as what I actually am.
1: Okay. So the uh, the thing of great value that I came prepared to give up tonight is your dignity. For podcast 112, Pete, I will cede control of the podcast back to you (laughs) for one podcast. (laughs) That is of great value to me.
0: Great. We're finally dumping Babylon 5. Let's let let's move on to where we're, where I really wanted to go, which is the Star Wars movies. That's where I think the discussion needs you, to go.
1: You didn't want to go with Harry Potter there? <laughs> Harry Potter, that's right. No, because I hate those movies. <laughs> I did hate
0: that. Um, well, thank you so very much, Joey. Um, goodness. Uh... Let's see here. The thing of great value. You're gonna laugh at me when I do this, but it it actually does. It's a sentimental thing. It's it's silly. In the in the books uh, about Harry Potter, it's funny you mentioned that the character of Voldemort keeps trophies, okay, or things that he espouses. The Horcruxes. Yeah, he espouses you know value out of these Wait, do particular things. Wait, you have a Horcrux? <laughs> I don't have a Horcrux yet, but. I'm going to bring to you something here. <laughs> Since you're seeding control of the podcast for one episode, I will cede control of something I consider of value. Uh, I, I set before you the Aflac Duck. No. <laughs> now, it's one of these little squeeze toys. I think it's supposed to, you know, be a little... Uh, uh, she, stress reducer. or what you to give to your dog, <laughs> <laughs> sure, <laughs> or, or what you give to your kid or something. And yeah, Affleck puts it out. It's a picture of yeah, it's the it's the duck. Um, my friend Rhett. Uh, okay. He used to work here, sure. and he and I would do a thing back and forth all the time, where we would try and best each other, one up each other, or whatnot. And we would always, when we did, when we got one over on the other guy, we would oh, bring like the in Kings the duck to you
1: from Mon- the Count of Monte Cristo. Ducks to
0: you, Ducks to and you. and so that was what he and I would do a lot. And then he, when he left the company, you know, I, I kept the duck, and I haven't started that up with anybody else because, uh, you know, it's it's kind of special. It was it was a nice thing for he and I, and I, I missed being able to do that. So Joey, ducks to you, sir. All right. And uh, you may have that until next podcast. Once I relinquish control back over to you. <laughs> All right, I was hoping for your house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, this is great value. No, uh, no, no. I give to you my parents, <laughs> but only for uh, one
1: podcast.
0: <laughs> they'll be in town the whole week, and they'll be closer to you down in uh, uh, Provo. So, yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> okay, well that was fun. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I. Uh, in seriousness though, and I, I wasn't trying. You know, just trying to joke around when I when I brought that up. I. I do understand and think that it is a nice idea. It's a nice ceremony kind of thing to be able to unburden yourself in some regard yeah. to, to help share your burden with somebody else. Um, I, I don't think it's something that you could do every year because over time I think it could start to become trite. Anyway, it seems like the whatever secret you share would be something incredibly personal. And you would have to share it with someone who you knew would not treat it in an uh, inappropriate manner. Yeah. If anybody wants to do that, and I don't mean necessarily with us, (laughs) but just maybe with people that you know, I think that that's a a very nice type of ceremony to be able to take out into the real world and try out. If you do try it out, let us know. We'd be uh, interested to to see what happens with it. Okay. Uh, Nice curveball. <laughs> um so yeah, it, so the the crew they express their love to uh sorry, Sheridan expresses his love to Dylan, That's his secret. Yep. Um Garibaldi says I'm more afraid than people realize and I'm afraid all the time. Um which I can totally buy that. Ivanova's is I think I loved Talia. Talia. Which it might have been a little more like, on the edge, if she had said, I think I was in love with Talia. Beyond, I just love Talia. Because in love with Talia means there's definitely, you know, a lesbian storyline to go with this.
1: That's that's what you're intended to get out of this. He says Yes, here. Yeah, hold on. Okay. But she
0: says, I think I loved Talia. Oh, I see which is saying. a different way of saying, you know, I, I think I can honestly say, Joey, I love you.
1: Okay.
0: And we're two guys in one small room together. Don't worry, there's a desk <laughs> between us,
1: four feet on the floor. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but I, what she says there, there's not necessarily a automatic link to I was, you know. I think I you're had romantic that expression feelings.
1: more carefully than Straczynski intended. Uh, well, he is a writer, so it's clear he's very careful with his words. He he says in the script book that his intent is for everyone to get here. That Ivanova is the first. Female Jewish bisexual in science fiction lead. Female Jewish bisexual lead character in science fiction. Uh, at any rate, I think he does it a lot better if he, he makes her sort of say love. "in love."
0: Okay, it's it's stronger, better. Um, does Mark? What does Marcus say? Does he even? He doesn't say anything, does well, he? Well,
1: no, not that we know. Does either. he reveal
0: to Veer anything? Uh, mm-mm. Okay. Um, and then uh, Dr. Franklin, of course, he, he does uh, what we've talked about before. Um, then
1: Delenn, does she ever reveal her secret? No, because she had declared the ceremony off. Oh, I see. But she
0: had still planned to give everyone their... New uniform. New uniform. Yeah.
1: Okay, just as, I guess, kind of like a little treat. So let's go to the script book here. This episode as the 55th episode in a five-year arc of 22 episodes each marked the exact midpoint in the planned five-year arc. This would be the point of division between what what was and what was coming, and it fell exactly on schedule. The shift was to be marked visually by a change in uniforms, which would constantly reinforce for the viewer that in many respects they were no longer watching the same show. Working closely with our costume designer, we'd begun, to change, we'd begun to design the new uniforms toward the end of the second season. I wanted them to be black because it symbolized the death of the past. The characters putting away their old lives and gradually working their way back toward the light. As Dillon says in the first season episode, of Parliament of Dreams, they must put aside their old ways, their old lives, and surrender to a kind of death in order to achieve rebirth which is why it is fitting that she provides them with the uniforms emblematic of that rebirth. Since the show was being reborn, it made sense to have the characters go through a similar transition. The hard part about black uniforms, of course, is that on television, the details tend to go away, especially in pre-HDTV broadcasts. So our costume designer, Anne, sought out a range of fabrics that would work well together, but each with their own individual textures, from black cloth to textured leather and black and gold embroidery. We made the costumes primarily for our main characters because I thought the contrast between those uniforms and the rest of the crew would be interesting. But over time, we began to shift the uniforms in C&C as well as the security uniforms away from their traditional look and more toward the black uniform because, well, I'll be honest. All the actors kept asking if they could have the cooler looking uniforms. (laughs) (laughs) And they do. They look Better. Yeah, they I look do.
0: more form-fitting. They don't look like the baggy, frumpy costumes that we have seen before. Yeah, they're not Ivanova doing... never looks attractive in her previous uniform. I think she could start to look a little more attractive with these. Uh, maybe I'm you know, a chauvinist. Whatever. Um, but I'm really happy to see those new uniforms. I think they look great. Absolutely. Um, there was one thing I uh, I mentioned, uh, wrote down here. There's a transition scene, you know, from, probably from commercial, where we see the Mimbari ships kind of floating around Babylon 5, Babylon 5 and honest to goodness, they look like sharks. <laughs> I know I no thought fact. it was so cool, the way that those ships, just, it was a quiet scene, and it's just the ships, you know, just kind of floating around, and Babylon 5's there in the foreground, and those guys are in the back, you know, just you know as sort of like the protector and I thought it was visually it was a really good look okay. at least for for that little itty bitty scene great do we have
1: listener comments yes
0: okay Uh, moneybag says sigh a bridge episode (laughs) someone gets kidnapped by someone we've never met before yawn they're rescued shocker I guess a bridge episode is necessary after an episode like Severed Dreams, but I just don't care about this kidnapping plot. Is it just me, or does Londo's half-poisoning of Rifa make no sense at all? The first half does nothing, so what Londo did is pretty much the same thing as saying, hey, do what I say, or I'm going to poison you, <laughs> you know, with a regular poison dart. And I wish they had just forgotten about the passwords in the malfunctioning AI. The less said about that, the better. Sheridan taking down the bad guy at the end was a great scene, though. Don't mess with the box. Uh, Sci-fi... Sorry, TV6,
1: Sci-Fi6. I disagree. I think the binary poison is a lot stronger because... Individually, the two components of the poison are completely innocuous, we're told. And so it's harder to get up to someone with poison and actually poison them than it is to slip something that looks perfectly innocuous to a poison scanner into their food. So you now have effectively blackmailed them and said, look, there is nothing you can possibly do to stop this because the other half of this poison isn't going to set off any kind of detector.
0: Hmm. Okay. Um, uh, Brainy Smirk. Mimbari holidays suck. <laughs> he sounds like Londo. <laughs> <laughs> we might have the two worst guest actors of the series in this episode, but we will get uh, but we will get to them shortly. Here at the beginning is a great scene between great actors, Londo and the Reefer Man. William Forward does an excellent job with his character. As we all want to smack him like the little, uh, the snide little sunflower he, he is. It is interesting to note that this scene contains two bad guys, and yet we are rooting for the lesser of two villains. Great acting. It would have been funny if they had both had poisoned each other. One thing confounds me about the casting of Babby 5 is that the actors who play Londo, Rifa, Jakar, all of the attaches including the Narn chick, Bester, Morden, and Talon are all, in my opinion, highly skilled actors. And of course, the box is awesome too. For the sake of this argument, even Delenn's occasional overacting rarely gets in the way of an episode. But then we have three of the biggest parts in the show. Garibaldi, Ivanova, and the Doctor. All of whom seem to be performed in an acting caliber of anti-greatness that we well ascribe as <laughs> detilio level. I have tried to show Babby Five to other people, <laughs> and they were promptly turned off by the bad acting of these three. I am sorry for the hateration. I am pointing out... However, that the majority, um, however, that the majority of the characters on Babby Five are played by amazing actors, and then there are the two cronies who abduct Delenn in this episode. This pair reminded me that I had originally dubbed this the "Of Mice and Men" episode.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just when things are getting interesting, we have to listen to George and Lenny have a series of strange and stupid conversations. (laughs) That's a good analogy. There are several people strangely standing in the background, still and silent, probably because they are stunned that George and Lenny are getting paid more than they for these horrendous deliveries of speaking lines. There is no way that this dude learned to speak Minbari. Lenny does sing that horrible creepy song, but at least there is nothing soft and fluffy for him to kill. Only a couple of unlucky red shirt boneheads. These two wannabe thugs are so bad, they could have both been replaced by the Sinclair puppet. <laughs> 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 they might as well have uh, brought the wooden doll out of the closet, dusted it off, and glued a... Spo- uh, Spock-style alternate universe goatee on his little wooden chin, <laughs> and then the station's computer gets hijacked by pre- <laughs> by Pete's impersonation of Zach Allen. <laughs> I told you you had a Jersey accent. <laughs> It is much funnier when Pete does it though. It sounds in a good way like Andrew Dice Clay trying to talk his way out of a
1: traffic ticket. <laughs> I read that last sentence again.
0: <laughs> it sounds like Andrew Dice Clay trying to talk his way out of a traffic ticket with a dash of the rat from the Muppets. <laughs> Rizzo. I would like to put together a forum featuring Jakar, Kosh, Zach, and Zog. Pete can supply all four voices. <laughs> Coming soon to fun <laughs> <laughs> Oh my
2: goodness.
1: <laughs> By the way, that is the voice of Harlan Ellison, the, the conceptual consultant for Babylon 5.
0: Oh man.
1: I haven't laughed like that for a (laughs) while, dude.
0: (laughs) And then the station's, uh, sorry. I also think that Lieutenant Corwin should have gotten a new uniform with the other four. I mean, they just let him into the inner circle, did they not? Keep this up and he will always feel left out. And now for Lanier's quote of the week. And by the way, overlords, you are welcome to submit other entries for Lanier quote of the (laughs) week. (laughs) Choose a winner accordingly. I just love his quotes. Everyone can submit. The more linear. Uh, this week, I offer, quote, opinion doesn't enter into it. What is, is. Close quote. Yeah. Take that, Della Reese. <laughs> <laughs> Sci-Fi 5, TV 5. Oh, man.
1: That was really funny. Poor Della Reese. She's going to really hate her. Someone's going to play this podcast for her. She's going to be like, so much mean people <laughs> okay
0: uh, Aaron says Lanier finally admits that he loves Delenn Marcus is a badass and cool new uniforms Sci-Fi 5 TV 7 uh, whew, my head hurts from that like right behind <laughs> the ears uh, okay uh, for science fiction uh, I know you're not going to like this but this is a 4 there's enough of bad crap going on in this, and while you and I made a pact not to bring up the AI stuff, that really tears it down yeah. so much. I, The AI stuff might have been okay, but they took it to this doofy place that I just didn't think belonged. Um... So yeah, sci-fi 5 even though we do have the rebirth ceremony. 5 or 4. Uh sorry, uh, uh, 4. Uh even though the rebirth ceremony is in there and I think it's, you know, uh, a reasonable, you yeah. know, introduction of a sci-fi element. So I'm going to agree with you, sci-fi 4. Uh I thought I'd get more um, uh, blowback no, I, from you on that. I, I
1: I think that's accurate.
0: Okay, uh for television I give this a 5. Uh middle of the road kind of thing. I I
1: I think people are soup enough they would watch this. I give it a 6. I do like the the very beginning and the very end. I think that they tie together very well. The
0: uh, P5 rating for this episode? 8.30. Moving on to our next episode,
1: Sick Transit Veer. Veer returns to Babylon 5 and is both both the source and recipient of surprises. <clears throat> um, okay.
0: I I knew this episode was upcoming. I didn't realize it was going to be quite so soon. Um... I don't love this. Okay. And... I like it. I feel like I should probably like it more because it is Veer. Yeah. I
1: just feel like the writing's kind of fallen flat on this a little bit. Hmm. I I don't feel that way. It it comes at kind of an awkward time, but it comes when it does because Veer's, um, or Stephen First's other TV show has been canceled. Yeah. So they can bring him back into Babylon 5 now and... Some of the stuff that Straczynski had been wanting to introduce slowly in Veer's character, now he just decides, okay, I'm just going to get it all out in one episode because I, I didn't have his availability earlier in these episodes. What things are those? I'm curious. The, the, the Narn Underground Railroad thing. He wanted to, to sprinkle that more into the earlier episodes, but because they didn't have the availability from Stephen First that they had wanted, they felt like they couldn't do it justice, so they left it out. And then when... His other TV show, sitcom got canceled. He came back and they said, okay, let's just take an episode and do all the things that we wanted to do here. Now,
0: when you say they couldn't do it justice, do you mean they couldn't do it like justice?
1: Yes, they couldn't do it like that episode of Star Trek The Next Generation with mm-hmm. half-naked women and men prancing about. So awesome. Um, you know you like the bare men's chest. No.
0: Gross. <laughs> Okay, um, we begin with Ivanova apparently having dreams or nightmares, and she's nude. Yeah? Have you ever had a nude dream? Never once. Never. I have never been like nude like the, oh my gosh, I'm naked kind of dream. Yeah. I think I've been naked in dreams, I've and I've certainly had naked. dreams where other people were naked in them. Really enjoyed that. <laughs> Those were in some of my formative teenage years. Um, I just I've never had any of those dreams before. I'm, I'm with you. I, I are they really common? I'm curious to know. And I realize this is going to sound incredibly weird.
1: Listeners, <laughs> just stop. <laughs> what? I, I, I think it's clear what your intent is. I don't think you need to finish the sentence. <laughs> Can anyone confirm or deny
0: whether or not that is a normal occurrence amongst perhaps your group of
1: friends? I, I do think that there are people who have those dreams or else you wouldn't hear about them as much as you do. It's kind of a trope. And, and I, I okay. gotta think that there must be the, somebody out there having these dreams or they wouldn't get entered into the, the cultural consciousness, if you will. Okay. Um, so,
0: Veer is on Centauri Prime. And he's there. He meets the... Apparently
1: petting the Emperor's chair, by the way, is just a thing Centauri do.
0: I, I guess. A little, <laughs> little weird on that. I was trying to overlook that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um... Anyway, we. Veer meets with, I guess, an attache of the Emperor, you know, some right hand man kind of thing. I believe
1: that's the Prime Minister. Is it? Okay. Yeah. I,
0: I didn't. It didn't seem like it was made clear to me.
1: It wasn't, but I, I think
0: we find out later that this is the Prime Minister. Okay. Um, and he basically says, hey, look, you're doing a great job there. We really like the reports that are coming through. Sounds like Londo's helping you out <laughs> with some of those. You know, uh, just trust yourself. You're doing, you know, just fine. Everybody, you know. You're you're getting noticed here. At what did you think of his joke? I like his joke. Yeah, I. <laughs> but then again, I think you like those kinds of jokes, you <laughs> racist. Well,
1: no, no, it's, it's the idea of what's more terrifying than ten people who are really pissed at you locked in a room and giving one of them the key. <laughs> okay,
0: uh, Veer comes back to Babylon five now. Um. And it, we learn that Veer has a fiance, Lindesti. Yep. Who I don't know who put that together, but you know Veer's now got a little bit of arm candy. It was there. his uncle. Okay, his uncle. And Veer's got some. Uh, obviously, he's <laughs> not prepared for this. He's uh, clearly more of uh, um, afraid of women than I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you say that. Oh, no.
1: No, no, I don't like where this is going. Because as I watched this episode with my wife, and as Veer was awkwardly kissing Linda Steve for the first time, my wife said, I imagine that's probably how Pete kisses.
2: <laughs>
1: so I, I bet the first time he kisses a girl, it's going to look just like that. Oh, <laughs> wow.
0: <laughs> thanks very much, GD Really, <laughs> thanks for kicking the guy when he's already down. <laughs> um, okay. Um, so other things that are kind of happening at the same time: uh, Sheridan asked Delenn on a date.
1: Yeah. He wants to see her. Yeah.
0: And uh, <laughs> he cooks dinner, and I we're supposed to walk away from that scene with. Wow, Sheridan isn't good at cooking, which we can clearly see on Delenn's face yeah. as she tries the flern, flarn, florn sorry. Couldn't remember. And she doesn't like it. Yeah. And she has to say, oh, that's interesting over there, and then heavily <laughs> salt it or, you know, season it with something in order to just get it down. Um, so Sheridan can't cook. We are introduced to a new... Centauri character by uh, uh, Ivanova by the name of... Abraham O. Linconi. Abraham O. <laughs> uh,
1: this is really bad. This is Veer. This is, this is Veer. It was Veer's idea. It's uh, supposed to seem silly because it's Veer. Okay. Okay. All right. By the way, you skipped over one of my favorite lines. Oh, Okay free in the meal between Sheridan and Indolin, where he says you know what I what I lack in skill I make up for in quantity <laughs> so it's barely edible but there's lots of it <laughs> it's like what two possible things could you combine that could be worse <laughs> if you're bad make less not more <laughs> uh,
0: funny um well, Delenn doesn't seem to care too much. She's yeah. quite happy to be there. Smitten, if you were, would. Um, Veer is attacked. Or we think <laughs> it's Veer who's attacked. Come to find out, it's really that uh, that Narn was coming after Lindesteed. Lindesteed. yeah, Because she is a horrible, horrible racist. <laughs> Just awful. Really awful. Yeah. And uh, she is a killer of Narn. And we come to find out she's a little nuts. (laughs)
1: Like, honestly. That is creepy evil. Okay, (laughs) The sniper guy was mentally challenged. (laughs) This is good creepy evil. Okay, I guess
0: that's a a decent distinction there. Um, Anyway, it comes out because Ivanova goes off the the bend when she finds out that this person, Abraham Lincoln, that Veer had made up, has been having all of these Narn who have been freed, killed. Or at least to her, on paper, it looks like they've been killed. So she brings Londo into this, and accuses Veer, and Veer has to come out with the truth, which is
1: yeah, I wasn't killing them. No, he didn't have to come out with the truth. That's the frustrating thing about this episode. If Veer keeps his mouth shut, he can continue to do what he does. But
0: he can't lose his appointment to Minbar if he doesn't reveal that. Which is, I think, the point that Straczynski yeah. was getting at. I, I we want to bring him. Veer back to the, the station yeah. where you know he's going to be a major part. Um, anyway, Veer loses the appointment to Minbar. Londo's going to do some magic of his kind. Um, which, by the way, I was sickened by Londo. Because he was so proud of her for killing him. Yes, that. I mean, honestly, he—he's I, I,
1: a racist, racist as well.
0: Yeah. Anybody who you know is watching this who thinks Londo's a good character, yeah, <laughs> he's
1: not. Everyone, he's a bad character. Let me read from the script book here. J. Michael Straczynski says, "Ultimately, this is the face of true evil, not a snarl of public declaration." but the quiet assumption that, of course, things are the way that they are, because about those people, and you know how they are. Back in college, I saw a filmed interview with a group of housewives down in Mississippi, made prior to the rise of the civil rights movement. You could not possibly ask for a sweeter bunch of ladies, genteel, polite, smart, gracious, and God-fearing women. And they would continue to be just as genteel and polite when they talked about the coloreds, and how they were what they were. No point letting them go to white schools because, gosh darn it, in the end, it just wouldn't be good for them or anybody else, and that was that. I remember watching this and thinking that there is a loud evil and a quiet evil. The former is usually easy to spot. It's the latter you've got to really be on guard against. So when I wrote Lindesty and Londo in this episode, particularly toward the end, I kept that group of ladies very much in mind. Mm. Yeah, uh,
0: that's... uh, yeah, thanks for reading that. Um, okay, so it all comes out. Lindissey is basically, you know, walking away. She still thinks that uh, you know Veer an okay guy. He just has a problem, and Veer thinks the same thing about her. Oh, she just has a problem. Maybe she can be reformed. <laughs> you know, two more stupid people shouldn't be getting together that I can possibly think of. <laughs> Could you still love Lindissey? No. I don't think I could either, and I think Veer, in this, is like he's just smitten. This he, is just yeah, lust. He, he's he's looking at a, a pretty girl
1: and saying, "Who showed interest in him?" Yeah, I agree. think that's that, what that's, it is. A good, that's a good point. Yes, I mean, he's never had a beautiful woman really be interested in him
0: for who he is. I just want, I just want Veer to recognize what she is and run away from him. She's attracted to his potential. Power, right, and can't you know can't see Veer for the true wonderful person that Veer is. Instead, she sees him as you know potentially this horrible, awful person.
1: Anyway, uh, I don't have anything else to talk about. I, you know, I I just think that there's something to the idea of, and you can disagree with me. I disagree, but. How much I don't know. This goes back to nature versus nurture. Linda Stee, her the moral compass that she was handed from her father was broken in the first place. Yeah, she learned that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I saw a bumper sticker actually today. Um hate is learned or bigotry
1: is learned or something like that. Yeah. Well yeah, I, I agree. Mean, I'm, I'm trying to teach my kids bigotry, but <laughs> <laughs> that's big of you. <laughs> no, that's bigamy. Right. Sorry, wrong thing. (laughs) But uh, I just feel like she even says it herself. After the first few dozen kills, I think she said, it gets easier. You know, she is broken inside. Yeah. And that was something that was done to her. I have a hard time being really angry with her because... Someone did that to her. I don't know that she had a whole lot of choice in this matter. I can get on board with that. Okay. Listen to comments. Okay.
0: Um, we go to... Moneybags. Double yawn. <laughs> Do we really need an episode about Veer getting married? And asking Ivanova for sex advice? Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> totally. we, have, we have six. <laughs> I've gotten to one. Oh, you mean first base? No. One. One. <laughs> Isn't there a war with some ancient enemy going on? <laughs> I think they're called the Meadows or Shabadoos? I can't remember. <laughs> I think it was important, but obviously not, since they got bumped for a story about Veer's lack of sexual experience. This would not be, uh, uh, would have been an... Uh, sorry. Sorry. This would have been a good season uh, one or okay season two or even decent season three B-plot but it's inexcusable to have it in the middle of season three as a whole episode. Um, TV 6, Sci-Fi 5. I give this one a high rating since it's not really a horrible episode. It just shouldn't have taken place in the middle of season three.
1: Well, like I said, I think that that's Due to the scheduling as much as anything. Um uh, uh, Brainy Smurf.
0: As aforementioned in the kosh sucks email, Abrahamo Lincoln, And so there goes Veer. Or Thus Passeth Man. Or Veer's List. <laughs> or something. Anyway, I like the funny little Centauri who walks who talks to Veer on Centauri Prime. Pastels. We should remember to appreciate this cheerful little dude in the event that he might become a little less happily flamboyant and a little more bumped up and preoccupied. Couldn't Veer have at least gotten laid? I mean, gotten to a six? Before his creepy fiancé's dispassionate bloodlust was revealed. <laughs> I like that. Dis-
1: dispassionate bloodlust.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I don't see what was keeping him from uh, getting busy. Anyway. Uh, Morals? <laughs> <laughs> I hope he did. Her endorsement of genocide was eerie. It oddly reminded me of Tibet. In college, I took many years of Mandarin Chinese. Oh. He does have Chinese, and I practice conversation skills with exchange students from China. I was totally stunned one day to hear this petite, meek Chinese chick tell me what a horrible person the Dalai Lama was. In, uh, in case any minions are not familiar with the Dalai Lama, many people are moved by, by, the, by his presence and peacefulness as he conducts interviews and delivers speeches urging the freedom of his homeland, ...that he has been exiled from. He is considered in extreme reverence by many. Some Buddhist practitioners believe him to be the rebirth of... Oh boy. Avalokitesvara, also known as the uh, Bodhisattva of compassion. And in case anyone cares, a Bodhisattva is a soul who has turned down nirvana to instead help other souls in need. Really sorry about the way I'm pronouncing this, by the way. If these were Spanish names, I could handle this.
1: You should have asked me, I could probably give you a little bit of tip on it there. But you won't ever let me read the listener emails.
0: you do it wrong. <laughs> That's ironic, by the way. Yes, I you know, know, I got in it. In case you hadn't picked <laughs> up on that. Uh, Very Mimbari uh, with the rebirth and the compassion in serving. But suffice to say, one does not usually hear someone criticizing the most iconic pacifist since Gandhi. Nonetheless, this girl's contention, honestly, was that the Tibetans were so primitive and religiously deluded that they could not understand that their government was trying to, in fact, help them. The, quote, benevolent state... Could help to uh, region, could help the region modernize their farming and ameliorate their infrastructure and so on. I sat there in stunned silence as she expanded on how the Dalai Lama was inadvertently encouraging poverty and discouraging progress. I did, uh, I did not know how to express my dismay in Chinese. I just awkwardly said that the. Uh, said the CIA helped him escape into India. Then I nervously laughed and quickly exited. <laughs> Are the commies crushing greatness through propaganda? So what do you guys think? Is Kundu a jerk? Uh, sorry, Kundun a jerk? Is he better or worse than Kosh? Dalai Lama translates roughly to ocean teacher. Personally, I think he should be appreciated, revered, and celebrated for his commitment to nonviolence. Uh, Sci-Fi 4, TV 7. Keep it real on the West Side. Listener pounds. Nice. Um, by the way, uh, excellent use of the word ameliorate. Had no problem with that one. Didn't you hear they found her body? Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I'm in favor of the Dalai Lama. I don't have any problem with him. I think he's, you know, the Clearly he's a looter. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I,
1: I, I... Honestly, I can't say I've, I've studied that much of his, his writings or anything. I know he is generally respected as a man of peace. Good for him. I just haven't personally exposed myself to a lot of peaceful writings. So Yeah, you and
0: I are woefully um, not up to speed on the East. Yeah. I, I think that's safe to say. Yeah. Okay, uh, Aaron says, it turns out that Veer has been helping the Nine, uh, the Narn. <laughs> the the evil
1: Nine? Yeah. The writers? No, the Nine, the little Muppet doll. <laughs> I don't In know The animated those. movie? No, the movie we went and saw together a few years back.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. <laughs> that was a good movie. I like that one. Um, His wife is evil. Sci-fi 4, TV 5. Okay. All right, Joey, uh, what are your ratings?
1: Uh, for science fiction, I give it a four. There's just not a whole lot here,
0: science yeah, fiction-wise. I, I give it a four as well. It just
1: It's deflated. For, for TV, I, I'm going to come up a bit, just because I think Lindesty's caricature and, and the portrayal given by the actress are so good and so just downright evil that it, it reminded me of Othello and watching Iago just be the evil man that he is and so I'm giving this a six in television
0: um I can't I cannot bring it up to that at all um she's creepy and and terrible you know better than the other creepy guys from the previous episode but I just don't care for any of this that that happens here it just doesn't move me I give it a four P5 rating for uh, this episode? 7.53.
1: Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of The Homestarmie Presents Trek West 5. We hope that you've learned something, had some laughs, and we always invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at Or you can tweet us at hashtag trekwest5, or call and leave us a voicemail at 801-788-4913. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And thanks for listening.